seven or eight years ago, uh, I was asked to preach for a pastor at a small church near where we lived. I'd never met the pastor, never been to the church, and if you think I look young now, at the time I would have been 24 or 25. And I uh, go and I preach, and then afterward, this guy comes up, and he's like, he says, so do you think that we should confess our sins? And something I'm really bad at is like thinking really quickly on my feet. Like, okay, this guy has an agenda. He's going to ask me some questions. And I'm like really bad in that instance. I usually just kind of like am on my heels trying to catch up to where somebody's trying to go. So he starts leading me with these questions. And I was like, well, Jesus told us that we should pray, Father, forgive my trespasses as I forgive those who trespass against me. And he goes, okay, yes, but. And then he started leading me down this trail having to do with his ideas about God leading him to this conclusion that he did not need to ask forgiveness for his sins. And again, I'm not real good in that instance. I just kind of blurted out, Jesus told me to, so I do. I, that's just kind of my simple answer. But in the conversation, I remember like, like looking at him and then like looking at his wife and his daughter as they just kind of stood there and hung their heads. Like, oh, he's doing it again. Then in the conversation, I found out that he actually couldn't find a church that he could belong to because nobody else was as right as he was about all of these things. And so I just kind of left that conversation going, well, that's really his problem, not my problem. But he was the kind of guy that's like, so loves like thinking speculative thoughts about God and the world that he would just run down this road till his wife and his daughter are just ashamed to be with him. He couldn't fit into any kind of church. And so we all maybe know some people that like love their opinions and maybe love their thoughts about God so much that they just kind of, put everything else on the back burner because they just really love their, their thoughts about God, their speculative theology, we could say. But then we also probably know some people that would go to the other side and say, you know what, that doctrine stuff, that theology stuff, that's for guys like that. Just tell me what I'm supposed to do. Don't, don't, don't give me those thoughts about God. Just tell me, how can I stop being so angry? How can I overcome temptation? How, what is it that God wants me to do? So some of us, we might be in the camp, oh man, I just love thinking thoughts about God, but really it doesn't ever change anything. It just drives everybody away. Or somebody else could just be like, hey, that's for everybody else. That, that theology stuff, that's for everybody else. Just give me the stuff that I'm supposed to do. Today, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're going to start a series on the Trinity. Today, we're going to start a series with big, significant doctrine in theology. But what I want to suggest, and what I want to tell you today, is that doctrines like the doctrine of the Trinity are not just speculative thoughts for people who have the time and the pride to deal with it. It's actually an invitation to each one of us to actually commune with that God, not just think about Him. And so that those of us who are like, what am I supposed to do? The call of theology, the call of the Trinity is actually, come and be with me. Come and commune with the God who is three in one. So, this is Family Worship Sunday, which seems like it would be a funny time to start a series like a series on the Trinity, but I think kids are actually the best prepared to think thoughts about the Trinity. You see, uh, July 4th this last year, I took the three oldest kids to the park to watch the fireworks. And uh, we're sitting there, and the fireworks start exploding. And Jake, it was four at the time, and he looks up and says, Dad, wouldn't it be awesome if stars exploded? And I was like, Jake, 
Someday you'll learn about this, but stars do explode, and it's awesome. And so I think kids are the best prepared to think thoughts about the Trinity because the world is this wondrous place that we haven't figured out yet. And so it's not strange to think that God might be so great and so big and so awesome that I don't understand everything about it. It's like a little child that has no idea why cups full of milk and the floor always meet. But every time I drop it, the cup with milk always hits that floor. There's nothing in these two things that would make them meet. I don't understand why, but it just keeps happening. So I think you kids are the best prepared today to think thoughts about God. These thoughts that God is going to be something that's different than we could have ever imagined. Greater and grander and bigger and better. And so this is not just a sermon for adults who are prepared to think deep thoughts. This is a thoughts for all of us. And an invitation to us to commune with this God who is three and one. What I want to do is I want to start by just laying out just briefly the three statements we see in the Bible that lead us to this idea that God is both three and one. And then I want to show you two ways that this applies specifically to you and I. But first, the three statements. The first statement is that the Bible makes it very clear that three are God. That there are three that are God. The Bible is very clear if you look in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. It says, Who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with His blood. Let's pray. Father, today we are thinking deep thoughts about You. And I pray that as we open Your Word, as we understand these things, we would realize that they're not just thoughts for some special people to think about, but they are actually causes for us to worship and to rest in You. In Jesus' name, amen. Right here, this first statement that we find throughout the Bible is that three are God. First Peter chapter 1, verse 2 says, God the Father, the sanctifying work of the Spirit, obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with His blood. This is a statement where all three are held together, but we see passages like John 1 that makes it very clear that the Word, Jesus Christ, was God. John 1, 1 through 4 makes it very clear the Son is God. Then we, see, then we see things like Acts chapter 5. And in case you're like, your head's spinning and you're going, Joe, you are going to be referencing a lot of passages of Scripture. What we're going to do this week is we're going to grab all of the verses that I reference, organize them according to these things. It'll be on our website. It'll be on our Facebook page. So our, it'll be on our Instagram. So that you can take these and go, hey, I want to actually read these for myself. I want to think through them a little bit more slowly. So in, a, in essence, you can have a, a Bible study around these topics this week. But... Acts chapter 5 is the story of Ananias and Sapphira. At this point in the church, the uh, people were taking all of their belongings, selling them and bringing them to the church and saying, I will share everything that I have with the church. And one couple said, no. They said, we, we're going to sell everything that we have. We're going to sell some of the things that we have, but we're going to keep some of it and then tell everybody that we actually are giving them everything. So we can kind of get the reputation that everybody else is getting without having to do those kind of things. And so they're going to lie to the people. And what Peter says is, Peter tells them, you have lied not, you have deceived the Holy Spirit. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. And he says, you've lied to God. Acts chapter 5 makes very clear that the Holy Spirit is God. And then when we look in, so we've seen that the Father is God here in 1 Peter chapter 1. The Son is God in John chapter 1. And then in Acts 5, we see that the Holy Spirit is God. But when we look at 2 Corinthians 13, 14, 
2 Corinthians 13, 14, we see, make the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. We see that again in Matthew chapter 28, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the Bible makes it clear, this first statement, the three are God. It's a statement that we see very early in church history. Some people said, well, the doctrine of the Trinity wasn't developed until later. No. The Apostle John discipled two men named Ignatius and Polycarp. And those two, from the very beginning, said, no, three are God. We have the very earliest documents from the very earliest church said, no, three are God. Second statement. So we have three are God. Second statement. Each one is fully God. You see, we know that the Father is fully God. We see, as Jesus is praying to the Father, that the Father is God. That's the one that's most clear in both the Old and New Testaments. But when we look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we see, we see a prophecy of the Son. We see a prophecy of Jesus the Messiah. And it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so this isn't just a common Messiah. The Son is fully God. And then when we look, then we see that the Holy Spirit is fully God. When we look at something like Psalm chapter 139. Psalm 139. Verses 7 and 8. Where he says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I make go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. This, this verse and others like it attribute omnipresence, the fact that God is everywhere, to the Holy Spirit. There are other verses that that say that God's all knowledge is the knowledge of the Holy Spirit. And so what we have in, in the second statement is not that Jesus is part of God and the Father is part of God and that the Holy Spirit is part of God, that they all three are fully God. The final statement is there is one God. Deuteronomy chapter 6 it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Verses in like 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 60, Isaiah 45, 21 and 22 make very clear that we have a faith where God is one. And so we get to this point. We've got three statements already. Verse after verse. Three are God, each is fully God, and there is one God. These statements were found in the very earliest church. Like I mentioned, John's disciples, Polycarp and Ignatius, they said both of these statements from the very beginning. Three are God and there is one God. And so the history of the church is and is found in these three statements. Most of the heresies of the church were people trying to separate one of these, saying, well, no, all three aren't God, or no, they're not fully God, or no, no, God's not one, there's three. And so the church would get in trouble every time they would try to pull one of them out and say, no, we can't really explain that. But Herman Bavinck says that Christianity stands or falls with the confession of the deity of Christ and of the Trinity. These statements, statements we can teach our children, there is one God and three persons. This, that has been the witness of the church. That's what we see throughout Scripture. People try to explain them with analogies, and I find that every analogy has to eliminate one of these statements. Whether it's water or bananas or eggs or anything, any of the analogies we try to use, they don't capture this. We have to remove one of these if we try to use an analogy. And so the, the, the witness to us today is that God is three and God is one. God is three persons, God is one being. 
Again, Herman Bavink says that in the confession of the Trinity throbs the heart of the Christian religion. And so what I want to tell you today is these can be facts, and we can be like that guy that just comes and says, hey, here are my deep thoughts about God, and it has nothing to do with the rest of my life, has nothing to do with my family, has nothing to do with discipleship. But I'm here to say that the call of the Trinity is not just to reflect, but actually to relate to God the Trinity. It's not just this idea that may be true and we're supposed to believe it, but God is a person. I'm sorry, God is three persons, one being that we are called to relate to. It's not just a doctrine. We are called to commune with the triune God. What does communion sound like? What is communion? Commune is this word that has to do with deep fellowship. It's the kind of fellowship between a husband and a wife when the battles are behind and instead they are sharing life. Communion is that kind of thing that I would experience when I came home from college where you're doing all this college stuff and I just got to work with my hands one day with my dad. And I looked at him and I said, we hadn't talked in hours because that's kind of how my dad and I, we work together. We just do things. And I realized at the end of it, I was like, dad, this is good. It's good to just work next to you today. And I've missed this. And he's like, yeah, I have my other sons and it's good to work with them, but it's good to work with you good to be here. That's communion. This idea that uh, we just enjoy being together to sharing. Maybe communion for you is talking, whereas for me and my dad, it's not talking. But communion is this this deep fellowship between the two. And what I want to show today, I want to show you two ways that we commune with God the Trinity. Two ways that we commune with God the Trinity. First, we we are invited to worship the triune God. You see, we get to this point. Three God. God is three, God is one. Three persons, one being. We get to this point of mystery. And if we're adults, we like to push mystery away. We we get so used to knowing things so that we know that stars explode and we know how that bodies are made up of DNA and we know how atoms are made up and we know how things work in the world. We get used to just pushing mystery to its limit. But no, in the Trinity, we are confronted with a mystery we cannot unravel. And instead of pushing it away, we're invited, can you worship? Can it actually be good news to say that God the Trinity is actually beautiful? You see, Tim Keller was explaining the thought of Jonathan Edwards regarding the Trinity. And in the the book of John, we find that Jesus delights in doing the will of his Father, praying to the Father, being with his Father. In the book of John, Jesus says that the Spirit delights in glorifying the Son. And we see that the Father is pleased in the Son. And what we have is this dance of love, in the words of Jonathan Edwards and Tim Keller, is this dance of love as God the Trinity delights in being and in serving and in loving and in glorifying. And so we have a a mystery in the Trinity that we can push away or instead we can marvel at and we can worship. We can say, look at how beautiful this dance that God is in. A few, I guess earlier this month, I. I took our oldest daughter to a ballet for her birthday. We went up to Sheboygan and we went to the Nutcracker Ballet and we had seats on the very front row and I, at the beginning of it, I was like, what are we watching, first of all? And two, how could you know if somebody's good at this? How can I know if somebody's good at this? That's the kind of something I wonder in general in life is I look at an area, a sport I don't know or a job that I don't know and I go, you know what? What would it be like to understand and go, wow, that's a really talented That's a really talented person. And so we're sitting there on the front row, and at the end of the, I don't know, two and a half, three hour show, 
I realized who the really good dancers were. At that, at first, I was like, they're all doing moves that I don't understand. I'm not sure what's what the deal is here. But by the end of it, I was like, no, I can tell who the really good dancers are. The ones with a smile on their face that are caught up and it becomes just a natural expression of this is who they are. And so dance became this, this delight for them. There were other people doing the right dance moves, but they're kind of gritting their teeth and trying to, trying to get the whole thing right. Walking on your toes was really hard for her, so you could tell she had to use everything she could to do it and to do it right. But that, that girl right next to her, it was a delight that just flowed out of her being. And so dance became this delight for her. This, this dance of delight. And so what I want to tell you today is that the triune God in this dance of delight within Himself, as the Father enjoys the Son and as the Son delights in doing the Father's will and the Holy Spirit delights in glorifying, that this dance that the triune God has always been in is an invitation for us to marvel at His delight and to join in it in worship. You see, people think of worship as songs that we sing, as, oh God, you're worth so much, but it's actually this great, grand delight. And so the Trinity can be thoughts that we think about God, or it can be a, a God, the, the Trinity can be someone that we worship and we delight in Him. And we say the mystery, of the mystery of this dance, the beauty of this dance is a wonderful thing. So then we begin to obey the command, delight yourself in the Lord, as we say, I'm going to delight myself in God the Trinity. This is what He's like, and I don't understand the limits of these thoughts, but instead I'm going to delight in that. Like a child delights in learning new things about the world and saying, hey, I don't understand that stars explode, but it sure would be awesome to see a picture of it. So will we delight ourselves in the triune God and say it's not just a doctrine we believe, it's actually a the three persons that we delight in, in communion with Him. The second way that we commune with God is we can rest in the triune God. You see, the triune God, is it's normally this just this category, this static belief that we have. But if the three are one, if the three are one, then everything that God is doing is united in the Trinity. You see, every instance we see in the Bible where the three names are together, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's good news. There's, there is bad news in the Bible, and I don't want to limit the fact that one day God will judge His enemies, but every time the triune God shows up in Scripture, it is good news. It is a reason for us to, to rest, to delight, and to find joy. And so whether we look in Matthew 28, or Matthew 3, or 1 Peter 2, if we look in 2 Corinthians Wherever we look in the Bible, we find good news that God, the Trinity, is united. You see, in, in creation, the Father planned it, the Son worked it out, and it was the Spirit's presence that manifested creation. It's the, the same thing that we see in salvation. When salvation is described in the terms of the Trinity, it's the Father who planned it and the Son that accomplished it and the Holy Spirit that is with us applying it. And so we can know that God, we can rest in the fact that God the Trinity is not divided and the Holy Spirit's not just here hanging on, hoping that we will be sanctified in one day with God. Instead, we can rest in the fact that God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are united in working for our good in salvation. And so the Holy Spirit, which the Bible says, dwells in those who have repented of sin and trusted in Christ. The Holy Spirit is now with us, working out the, the plan of God the Father in our lives. And we don't have to worry, oh, well, I, Holy Spirit, 
will you, will you work and work out what God has planned? No, we can know and trust that He's given us His Spirit and He's going to work these things out. So the Trinity becomes an occasion for us to rest as we know that God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit are working together for our good. So if you're facing marriage trouble this week and you go, it's been so many years, so many years with so much loneliness, so much bitterness, so many arguments, you can rest in the fact that God the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are working in you and for you. If you are a child facing fear, you can know that God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are united in promising to never leave you and never forsake you. If you're tempted to doubt God as His promises have felt so far off for so long, you can rest in knowing that the triune God is united in working for your good. So we get to this point. We go, oh, God the Trinity, if we are reacting rightly to Him, it's not just the thoughts to think, but it's actually a person or three persons to commune with. But in truth, I don't often worship the triune God. I often don't worship Him as I ought to. I don't think thoughts the way that I should, and it doesn't change the way that I live, and I don't rest in Him. Instead, I work trying to do things for Him. Where is the good news for somebody like me who's not real good at communing with God? Attaching thoughts of God to my life periodically, but where is the good news for us? How can we be sure to rest? We can rest. And I want to point you to two verses. Luke chapter 23. If you've got a Bible, turn there with me. Put one finger on Luke chapter 23, verse 46. We see it. Verse 46, it says, Jesus called out with a loud voice. This is the Son. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. You see, in this moment, God the Son takes our place before the Father. In this moment, God the Trinity is united on our behalf before his Father. In Romans 8.32, Romans 8.32 explains us what it explains to us. What exactly does this mean? 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. The Father gave up his son for us. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? And so we can rest knowing that God the Trinity has been working for our good, and most specifically in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. If you're a guest, if you're here and you're going, I want to know for sure. I want to commune with the triune God and I have been trying so hard my whole life. The story of the Bible is that God made the world and He made it good. The triune God, in His delight, makes the world out of delight. We see Adam and Eve are invited to walk with God in the garden. And Adam and Eve and every person after them rejected God, turning away and saying, I don't want you. I don't want your, your kingdom. I'm going to set up my own world in my own way and do my own thing. And the Bible says that God drove Adam and Eve out of that garden and out of that perfect communion with Him. And ever since, humans have been wandering in search of a king and a kingdom. In search of peace, and finding no rest. 
the story of the Bible is that instead of leaving us as enemies, promising that one day he will come and crush us, instead he promised, I will come day one day and rescue you. And so God the Father planned it. God the Son came and lived the life we should have lived, dying the death we should have died, and rising again. And so that all who repent of sin and trust in Christ now have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them with the promise that one day we will be invited into the dance that God has been dancing since before creation. That we are invited into life with God forever. So if you have questions about this, I want to repent of sin. I want to know for sure that I am repenting of sin, trusting in Christ with the Holy Spirit dwelling in me and the promise of life with God forever after this. Come and grab me. Grab me during the singing. Grab me after the service. You see, the Trinity is not a fact for us to reflect on. The Trinity is the three persons of God that we're invited to commune with. Father, we thank you for your great love. We thank you that the Trinity is not a doctrine that goes on the shelf, but that you come and reveal yourself as you are and invite us into life with you. I pray that we, young and old, will come and invite and step into this dance you've invited us into. In Jesus' name, amen.